on this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus is alone with his brother Tom. I am in Banded Dunes playing golf, but still took the time to make this wonderful intro. I'm excited to listen to Rufus and Tom, and I hope you guys are too. So with that, let's start the process. Bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to a very special episode of Bet the Process, where Jeff is at Bandon Dunes and doesn't have time for me. So I, I've provided a co-host, Tom, you Tom provided. Peabody. I've provided a co-host to, provided to everybody for your listening pleasure to, I guess we can start with, I mean, I think we'll recap the US Open a little bit and just see where it goes from there. How are you doing, Tom? The ultimate shit shooting. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. It's beautiful up here in Maine. Uh, it was a pretty fun U.S. Open. And uh, yeah, can't complain. Life is good. It was fun. Rory didn't win, though. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, if we put our personal financial stake aside, I thought it was a, a pretty exciting one. I didn't get to watch that much of it. I was really? mostly in Utah. Oh, right. I did. I did watch. I was flying back from Vegas to New York City on Sunday afternoon, and I was able to actually watch almost all of the final round for the leaders on because it was JetBlue, although the DirecTV died for like 45 minutes. So I missed Rory missing like a four foot birdie putt on that par five. Yeah, Rory was was definitely tilting a little bit. That was a uh, was hard to watch, but. So, yeah. so on Wednesday night, I, so I was at this AP summit in Park City, Utah and Wednesday night I had been at an after party and was not in the, you know, a sober state of mind necessarily and came back to the ranch I was that me and some other people are staying at and was with a friend and basically made this like two minute long prayer to god for rory to win i basically made this argument that rory really deserves it given what's gone on with the live and then i said also i want him to win because i have bets on him as well see i think god would have listened until and, you, until you put that last bit in oh but it would tom it was heartfelt mm. and so my friend basically was like wow like if rory wins you know we, we'll all we'll have to convert to christianity and so it was really funny coming down to the end. I was like, what are the odds that Rory actually does win? It was kind of a, it was a very heartfelt prayer that came out of nowhere. And I, I think it came out of alcohol. <laughs> maybe not alcohol, but. Okay. What party drugs? I don't know. <laughs> Much no, not party drugs. Um, I think we dodged a bullet though, because I really, I don't do well in church. Yeah. I've, been, I've been asked not to come back to a few churches. Yes. I just start clapping because I'm like, that was really good. And people don't like it. <laughs> Which parts do you clap during? Um, 
Most parts, really. Communion, after everyone gets the wafer in their mouth, I just a good round of applause. I mean, people are doing a great job, and I just I want them to know that. That's hey, it's nice of um, you. But yeah, I don't know. Rory, yeah, that was that was a bit tough, but I'll be honest with you, I never thought he was gonna win just because I can't I can't can't it just feels like he it felt like Wyndham Clark was more clutch and it felt like he was going to remain more clutch than Rory, despite the fact that he doesn't have that same level of experience in, in those kinds of types of situations. I mean, his best finish in a major before this was I think like 73rd or something like that. Yeah. He's only played in a few, I think he's like, it's kind of insane. Five missed a bunch of cuts. I, I think there's something to be said for the fact that like Wyndham is playing with house money. Like he's just, he's on a free roll. He's playing free Rory. As much as he says, like, even if he says he's not in this headspace, like, you know that he's, every time he's at a major, he's like, I need to win another major. And especially on Sunday when he's one shot back, I'm sure that that is a lot of pressure on him. And probably, arguably more pressure on him there than Wyndham. Oh, for sure. His first major, you know, because Wyndham's sort of like, well, whatever. Although Wyndham did look, uh, when he bogeyed the, like, when did he bogey 15 and si- or 16 and 17? 15, 15 16. 16. 15, 16. I was like, oh man, he is, he's toast. Well, if we'd had a bet on him, I probably would have felt like he was toast, but yeah. he made a nice, it was a, apparently he missed in the right place on 17, but he made a nice, uh, he had a nice chip and his speed on his putts, his speed on his putts seemed good all day. Yeah. It felt like Rory's speed on putts was not nearly as good. The beginning of Sunday, Rory was like, he looked pretty good putting. I was like, okay, he could be, he could be pretty dialed in today, but he just, I mean, like how many greens did he hit that week? It was something insane. Rory like, hit, I think he had 15 of 18 on Sunday, right? Yeah. And I think more greens all week. He just, he just could not make putts. And obviously that's, I don't know, a lot of variance there, but, but it was a little bit tilting just because you felt like he was, I don't know. He was playing the best of arguably anyone there <laughs> except Wyndham. Did it remind you of his final round in the British Open last year where he basically just, he hit all these greens. I mean, it was St. Andrews, the greens are huge, but he couldn't make any putts and Cam Smith yeah. did. No, it did. And and I wonder how much of that is like, how much was Rory like playing to win on Sunday and, and not playing not to lose? And I don't know. There's no way to know. Well, if you look at some of his decisions, and I think we can kind of second guess them now, but not going for it on the par five and the back nine, which was what number 14. Is that right? No, 12. Yeah, but he missed the fairway, right? He was in the rough. Right. But, but I forget which on course announcer was saying that his lie, it was, it was very dry. He could easily, he could hit it over the green and take a drop from the grandstand. Basically that's what they were saying. And so, and who had done that earlier? I think had Wyndham gone for it from the, no, Wyndham was in the fairway, wasn't he? Well, Wyndham was in the group after, too. Yeah. Right. And he hit it to, like, remember, he hit it to, like, 20 feet. for Eagle. Yeah, he had a great um, shot there. But basically, the thought was that Rory was Rory was playing it very tentatively. Yeah. I mean, there's – I think he was playing pretty tight. Which well, because – I mean, that, if you look that, at what he's done in the past, though, it's – sometimes he kind of goes for it too much and doesn't know when to ratchet back. And so it felt like he kind of went to the opposite extreme. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, I think there's something I was listening to the no laying up 
with uh, Patrick Harrington this week is a pretty good episode. I, that dude is is fun to listen to. And he was talking about how Rory Rory changed the game by he was the first long hitter to actually play like a long hitter. All the other long hitters had been sort of like bullied into playing like short hitters. And I feel like Wait, when, what does that mean? It just means taking driver off the tee and not laying up, not doing the things that because basically what does length get you if you're going to play conservatively and lay up? I don't know if this is borne out in, in the data. I'm just saying this is what Patrick said, but I, I felt like he was playing more like that on, on Sunday. You know, he was kind of, but then again, I guess he went for it on six. Anyhow, tough, tough result. Happy for Wyndham. What are you going to do? Yeah. Did what you, you think? think so how, wait, how much of the U S open did you actually watch Tom? Um, I watched not, not a ton, ton. I watched more on the weekend. I was camping Friday, so I didn't get to see a ton, but watched some Thursday and then Saturday, Sunday. Camping. Where were you camping? I was just camping at a, uh, a little campground up in Freeport, Maine called Wolf's Neck with some friends. I mean, I'm the homeless person here. Why are you the one camping? Well, some people camp by choice, Rufus. It's not just homeless encampments. Sorry, unhoused encampments. I, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm homeless right now, though. Rufus, you are homeless by choice, and you can't say that. It's an, it's an offense to everyone who's ever been homeless. Well, you're homeless I, because you're waiting to like <laughs> close on a <laughs> place you bought in New York City. Right, but, but, it, but I'm still, I'm still homeless at the moment. <laughs> I guess so. I guess I could go out to Vegas and be there. Yes, I might. I might be. Cra- I might come crash on your couch. If you I, watch I out. fear that you will. Um, so what did you think, Rivas? I don't know how much you watched, but what did you think of the course? I mean, there's, I don't know if you were listening to any media this week, it was a lot of sort of uproar about, is it too easy? Uh, et cetera. What did you think about all that? I mean, it was easier than a traditional U S open, the winning score being 10 under par as Michael Kim had predicted on Twitter. Well, he, then he changed it to minus eight after yeah, peer pressure. pressure. I mean, that, that's why. That's why he didn't make the cut, probably, right? Yeah. I side note, I like he Michael Kim. He doesn't he doesn't Twitter stick to his convictions. I like him too. Even though I and I love how he gets <laughs> his stories about people thinking he's some other Asian golfer or I even mean, Nick Hardy. Yeah, it's tough. Um he I, I, I didn't watch I didn't watch that much, but the course it the course looked good to me. I thought, I mean, it was wider, you had wider fairways than normal. Um, you didn't have nearly as many spectators or the energy or any of that, but I, I'm less concerned with the energy because I'm not there on the ground. So I'm watching it on TV. Yeah. Um, Although it is weird to see somebody like jar a long putt and there's like some polite applause because no one in the crowd knows that that's really good. You know, it was kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, it was a very corporate event from it was, by all accounts, but I mean, I, I thought the course looked good. It, it, Certainly was a challenge. I mean, I don't think it was it was it a major was it I don't want to say major level. Was it a typical US Open level challenge? I would say probably not. But the PGA was tougher than most PGAs are this past year. So Mm -hmm. I think if somebody said if you had flipped the PGA and the US Open, would anybody really be complaining? No, probably not. I think I liked it in some ways just because I do think in maybe not past couple of years, really since 
I guess Shinnecock, but it had gotten to the point where it was just like, how tight can we make these fairways? How long can we make this rough? How burnt out can these greens get? And then it's just, it's carnage, but it's not carnage well, in a way that rewards good play. So th- that's an interesting question. And, and we can kind of see what the data bears out in terms of that. I mean, there's a point where if you look at like, let's say winged foot in 2020, the US Open, when Bryson won, and I think Matt Wolf was, it was Bryson and Matt Wolf in the in the final group. And those guys basically weren't even trying to hit the fairways. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you hit the fairway, it's a bonus. But the fair, I think the average fairway hit percentage that tournament was around 40%. Yeah. And, it was... Right. And, and so if a guy like Brendan Todd can't hit the fairways, um, then, then what, you know, you'd rather be long and have a missed fairway than be short and have a missed fairway, especially since you could run the ball, you could run it up to the greens there. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. forced. Uh, so what's interesting is I, I was kind of taking a look back at this stuff recently to, to get a sense. I mean, I was curious, I think this is with the, this is with the PGA at Oak Hill because it felt kind of similar to me to Wingfoot in terms of fairways were really hard to hit. And actually it, indeed was in the like first percentile of fairway difficulty to hit um, just like Wingfoot had been. And I was curious if, if um, what, I guess at what point does it become, I mean, does driving accuracy like cease to matter? I don't want to say cease to matter, but matter less is a result of the fact that they're so hard to hit and becomes so random that it devalues the skill because I think there is a balancing act there. Like if something like think of like number 18 at Harbor town, that's what I think the e- one of the easiest fairways to hit on tour, mm-hmm. so, something a 90 something percent hit it clearly driving accuracy doesn't matter that much there. I mean, I guess you'd say, well, we're what angle do you want to have in blah, blah, blah. Um, or mm-hmm. even like St. Andrews, like every fairway is <laughs> pretty easy to hit, but you know, that, that, Driving accuracy doesn't matter there, but I think there's some sort of sweet spot. Yeah. And where do you want to have that set up? I guess is the question. Like, and I think they went the direction this year that was with the U S open. That was certainly like fairways easier to hit the normal, but yeah, of course was still difficult in other ways, but it felt more like difficult, like a Riviera or a Bay Hill or a Muirfield village. It was clearly not, uh, it did not produce carnage. It wasn't like leaders were going to come back and put up, you know, a, a round of six over or whatever. Um, Wait, but the leaders all shot come back. even par Yeah, the last round. Nobody, I mean, there were some good scores out there, but the leaders were all, you know, nobody, the leaders, no, nobody won the tournament at the top, really. It was, no. they held on. And Xander and Ricky shot eight under the first day and both finished uh worse than that that. yeah worse than that so i i liked i liked the setup actually i I thought that it was an interesting course and while the fairways were easier to hit you still had to like the landing areas were a little tighter than they seemed and if you did miss it was pretty much you were you were fighting for bogey like the rough in a lot of those greens like easiest hole in the course or one of them was like three and especially with the pin on the right side of the green, like if you were in the rough, you 
you were not getting anywhere close to it. Even if you were in the fairway, you weren't getting anywhere close to it. So um, I thought it penalized bad shots. The thing is, you weren't going to see a lot of like triple bogeys. You were going to see bogeys and maybe some double bogeys. And so um, I don't know. I, I like the course and I sort of like the direction that the USGA is, is going in recently, which is like, um, we're going to make it possible for guys to put up good scores if they play really well. And like, if, yeah, 10 under is a winning score, but guys put up some huge scores too. Um, so I mean, the I, average score was what? Relative to par. par stroking. Oh, I think some rounds it was higher than that too. Yeah. I'm just saying on the total, I think it was like 71.5 or something. If you look at the leaderboard too, I mean, it's, it does look like overall, you had the cream rise to the to the top. Totally. I mean, Wyndham's a bit of a surprise, but he's you know, he's a he's a very good player. And we you know, we've bet on him. Unfortunately, we bet on him for a long time before he won, and then the market caught up. I hate when that happens. Yeah, me too. It's like when Rombo but, really rewarded us for our early adoption. Yeah. I mean, he rewarded us plenty in matchups, but that that COVID withdrawal at the Memorial still kind of stings a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, Rory Scheffler, I mean, look, Wyndham Clark, Rory Scheffler, Cam Smith, Fleetwood, like right and at the top Wyndham of the leaderboard. Wyndham is one of the best players right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe not actually, but in terms of recent form, I mean, he won at Quail Hollow. He's been playing really well. So yeah, I, I think the leaderboard is exactly what the USGA would have wanted. And any comment, any comment on the live golfers? Do we think that they, um, I mean, let's see, the top live, no, no live golfer, I guess Cam Smith was number four, but that was a backdoor fourth. Yeah. You had, you had DJ, right DJ was in it. He played poorly on the weekend, but I mean, he was tied for 10th. Uh, Kepka 17th. He finished a one under and then Bryson one over, but he kind of faded. I mean, he was four over in his final round. Sergio, twenty yeah. seventh. I mean, did those guys? If we think they kind of overperformed a little bit, you know, in the first two majors, do we think this is more about how we have expected? Was there any impact? Do you think of the announcement of the merger? <laughs> I, I mean, I doubt it. I I feel like they they showed up. I don't know. Like it's hard to like obviously there are fewer top guys on live than there are on the PGA. So you're not expecting the top of the leaderboard to be crowded with live guys, but I thought it was a, a pretty solid, pretty solid showing uh, at this point. I'm not, I'm, I think most people are, are kind of not buying into the narrative that these live guys are like suddenly not good at golf, you know, like they're playing, they're playing as much golf. We've talked about it. I think on the last pod we did, but like they're playing as much as the top guys on the PGA really who are choosing the yeah. schedule. So, so um, yeah. So question back to the U S open setup real quick. If you were the person in charge with setting up the U S open, what would you do? If you were whoever the, whoever the person that replaced Mike Davis, is the czar of U.S. Opens. Mike Wan, isn't that the guy? Uh, yeah, it used to be Mike Davis. I just remember that. Only Mike's. It's like in the betting world. They only allow people named oh, Mike. Oh, God, that's true. It's only Mike's. Um, yeah. To create your, your betting nickname, you just 
Put something before Mike. Scripture, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Protestant Mike. That's my new name. <laughs> Call me Protestant Mike. Um, I you were I kicked know. out of Catholic churches, so you had to go to become Protestant. They, they'll take anybody. <laughs> I don't know that I do anything like totally, totally different. I thought the greens, the greens were really good. Um, the fairways. Like, I think they could have done been maybe slightly narrower. And then I think the pin positions, they didn't really get, they, they weren't diabolical with the pin positions. And I think there's something to be said for that. Like, you, they walked a fine line between having it be exciting for the viewer and having the tour players not be frustrated. Cause I think, you know, at like Shinnecock um, and some 2003. Or whatever it was 2018 was it when when uh when brooks won it like they just get out of control with some of the pin positions where they're like um you cannot get it anywhere close and i don't think they really did that this time around um and so that was maybe frustrating for the the viewer who was like i want to see carnage but i don't know that i do a whole lot differently i mean i think they got the leaderboard they wanted 10 under is not a crazy score um, you had a bunch of guys shoot way over par. Like I, I thought it was pretty solid. But it's, I mean, normally it's the U.S. Open. It's the one week a year that you want to see these guys Carnage. look like. Yeah. Wait, what was the winning score at Brookline? Uh, eight, six under, six under. Yeah, it was under par too. Yeah. But I, I think that it's a like it is a players, it is a players league, and I think that. <laughs> Like, I think they get a lot of heat. The USGA well, the past years had been taking a lot of heat for basically unfair setups. This and is that, the way you said it's a player's league. You're talking about the PGA Tour, I assume, but the USGA is a different animal. No, I know. But I'm just saying, like, the players have a lot of power, I think. And if they're all coming out and ripping the USGA, I think the USGA would rather be on the player's good side than have slightly better ratings or whatever, you know? And and I think I think Mike Davis didn't care as much about that back when he was setting it up and was just like, let's go full on carnage. Which to be fair, like what are people gonna do? Skip the US Open? Like they're gonna play anyway. Even if you exactly make, score 20 over, they're probably gonna show up. And I think the harder you make it, the more it's a mental test, the more the more it favors a guy like Brooks Kepka for for that matter. Someone who's who's gonna say, you know what, all these all these guys have already lost if they're complaining. I'm it's just going to go play. You got like half. I, I think, I think the mental test of it is a key part of it. I think it's what makes the U S open U S open and what's made it a tough betting event for me historically. Cause as I said, I think last week on the podcast, like I want to figure out how to quantify the mental game a little bit more. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a very tough thing to do. Yeah. You think what's made it tough is that it's sort of an, an outlier event and that it's that much more difficult. Yeah, and and that I do think that there is a, a mental component to it, and I think like, like let's look at I mean Bruce Kepka, who's overachieved by more than a stroke per round in his career in majors, and that's like 130 major rounds plus. There's what what what's the reason for that? Like I mean, I think he is an outlier in the fact that he does focus more on majors, and and he he doesn't really care as much about regular events, mm-hmm. at least. He got to a point where that was the case. I think early in his career, maybe that wasn't the case. But I think there's also 
a, a mental strength that he he clearly has and, and an attitude where he's not intimidated, where he, it, it gets him just the right level of focus. Yeah. And he just has like a, a sort of mentality where he can withstand the ups and downs and there are going to be downs. And whereas yeah. I would trust, I mean, him over, over a, a Tyrell Hatton, obviously, um, if things start going poorly. Yeah. I mean, so this, I, this isn't necessarily the major effect, but I think for toughness, like there's something to be said for guys who have been like been through it and he's been through it in more than one way. Like obviously people make a lot about the fact that he like had to grind it out on the European tour and like, was he on the Asian the tour? European challenge tour Yeah, is European where he got to start. Yeah. He, I have a lot of respect for the way he kind of went about oh. things after Florida state. Totally. And I think that that is different for like most of these dudes uh, first of all, we're starting off with this. The sport is golf. So people generally are coming from money and they've just been like, a lot of these guys have just won at every level and they get to the PG to, PGA tour and they win and adversity when they face it, they don't really know how to handle it. And like Justin Thomas right now is arguably facing adversity for the f- golf adversity for the first time in his life. Like he has won at every level. He's always been great. And now he's sort of lost and that is and like Spieth went through that too. Fowler went through that too. I mean, JT JT didn't have immediate success in the way that Spieth did on tour. I don't know, man. He was uh, okay. I'm gonna let you continue while I look up where, where, where I look up where G, JT was in the world yeah, golf rankings in like 2015. Away. He did not have success the way Spieth had, but no one had success the way Spieth had other than like Tiger. Like he came out and won three majors in his what was his second year on tour. What was that? Something know. like that. I mean, he was 21 when he was winning a major, right? All I'm saying is it, it's all relative, but I think a lot of these guys have not really struggled. And I think Kepka, and now with his injury, like you get out there and you're kind of like, oh, wow, my biggest problem is golf. Okay. Challenge accepted. You know, but I think the toughness, you look at like background for guys. Um, and a lot of these guys are like, softer dudes maybe i'll get flack for saying that's hey i mean i think that's a really interesting point and by the way i did pull up jt's official world golf rankings um let's see in 2014 was his first full year as a professional he played mostly corn Ferry tour ended the year 122nd 2015 he was pga tour he got a win ended the year 37th then 22nd in 2016 and then he made the jump right right but then 20 every year 2017 through 2022 he ended the year in the top 10 in fact all were top five except 2021 and 2022 when he was seventh and eighth so but essentially what i'm saying is that guys have constantly gotten better at every level until they struggle you know what i mean and and the struggle comes at some point um for everybody, huh? I mean, there's a lot of players that have had to reinvent themselves. And I think this is true in a lot of sports too. I mean, think about think about the player, and I'm not a big basketball guy, but the player LeBron is now versus what he was before. And I mean, LeBron is, I mean, he's not as good, but but his basketball IQ is, I mean, he's become somebody, and I, I can... He, hear Jeff listening and being like, Rufus, don't talk about basketball. You don't know anything about what LeBron actually is. 
Yeah, but but I think he's. I, I think there is an evolution of, of of players from from mostly like athletes to sort of cerebral players. I think you see it with you see it with pitchers in baseball as they lose velocity as they get older. Um, I mean, look at what Justin Verlander was his first year with the Tigers. He was just a flamethrower, and now I mean he's in his forties and he's still pitching well. He's still throwing pretty hard, but it's a lot yeah. of it is there's a lot more a lot more thought i think and 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 some guys can make that transition and some can't and i think in golf too you see it with there there are guys like steve stricker who fell off the face of the earth and came back stronger um yeah i'm trying to think of other examples but you have to reinvent yourself and like tiger was in the in the 90s he could hit the ball way further than everybody else that was and that wasn't the case that hasn't been the case. I mean, he still hits the ball very far, but but you look at when he he was number one in the world again, like 2010. That wasn't what he was. That wasn't his advantage. Yeah, no, it's true. But I'm just uh, like I don't know. Come, bringing it back to the sort of toughness thing. That's yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how that all fits together. But it is it is interesting. My, my point though is that. I kind of like seeing the carnage and I like, I like having it be a mental test, even though that has been a struggle for me betting wise and quantifying mm-hmm. which guys are going to be able to handle that. Yeah. And which guys are going to be, you know, Patrick Cantley. Yeah, for sure. Um, Moving on. Are we, uh, are you excited about the travelers championship this week? I mean, it's a course that we have both been to been there. Uh, in Cromwell, Connecticut, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. It's not, it's obviously not a major, but I think it's elevated this year. So you're still going to have the best players and it's an interesting course. I mean, in terms of valuing accuracy and, uh, it's almost more of a U.S. open course than the U.S. open was in some way. Well, not what's, what's interesting is it's, it's a short course. It's par 70. It's less than 7,000 yards it's a course that values accuracy yet Bubba's won there like two or three times. Bryson's done well there. Like you can overpower it for sure. But, but what, but it still values accuracy. So explain, how can this be? What is it? What, what is it about this course that some long hitters really are able to play well there? I mean, there are a lot of dog legs. I think if you shape the ball, well, that, that goes a long way. Um, and you can sort of cut some of these corners. Uh, is that what it is? Is it like an artist's course? I mean, because Brian, I mean, Bubba, so like, they're like eight dog legs. And so that appeals to, I mean, Bubba famously is a guy that kind of like very, his view, they're their courses, their setups that make him more uncomfortable. And there's ones where he really likes how it, it fits his eye well. Is yeah, this just one that, that want to see, that want to see the ball being shaped? Like they don't want to, you know, like a dead straight hole is tough for them. And, and I mean, Bubba can shape it both ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just thinking of which I'm trying to think of how many holes require you to shape it left to right versus right to left. I mean, are there really that many dock legs? There's, I think, is it eight or nine that that's the nine goes to the right. four where do you remember when we entered the, the grounds there? originally yeah, nine hole. and Bryson would like bomb it over the corner. Yeah, that was nine. Okay. That that's a left to right. 
10 is a bit 10 of a is rip-off. mostly straight you have that tree in the fairway tree. yeah 11 12 12 is or 13 is definitely right to left but i don't know yeah, okay so is, is good content yeah fair point i mean i'd love to do it anytime but um but yeah i don't know i it, it should be a good event obviously one of the best closing stretches in golf I mean, it's, it was, it's a fun, it was a fun closing stretch to, to watch for yeah. sure. It's a cool, it's a cool viewing yeah. experience. Cool amphitheater. Yeah. Do we, what do you think though, about having these elevated events the week after a major? Yeah, I, I understand where they're coming from with it in that they're like, okay, we've got all these people interested. Like, let's get the best people back again and not, and avoid a letdown, but you're really just putting off the letdown and you're devaluing the elevated events in some ways. Like, I think, especially with the travelers, I don't understand elevating this event because it's... It's a cool course. It's a cool course, but it already gets a lot of good players. It's one of the, like, every year, you know, the players vote on, like, their favorite tournaments. It's always up there for the players. Um, I don't think it needs... I don't think it needs that as much as some of these other tournaments, which is maybe not maybe not don't the way they're doing want- it. I mean, that's like saying guys are already playing the Memorial when they can. Guys are playing Riviera. I mean, there's certain courses that guys like playing. I think you want to make, I think you want to make the good course. You want to show off the the good courses. Yeah, that's a fair point. I guess I wasn't really thinking about that. You don't want to like elevate the John Deere and just like get people there. Um, Yeah, that's fair. But we are John Deere, which Michael Kim won in 2018. Oh, Michael Kim. His only win. In the Quad Cities area, which I didn't realize. Can you name the four cities in the Quad Cities area? Davenport? Is that one of them? I don't know. Is that a city? Yes, I think Davenport, Iowa. There's, I got one. I'm going to look it up. I want to say like Sioux City, but I don't think that's right. That feels feels like it should be in South Dakota. It's. You got, Davenport is correct. Yeah. See, I got one. Can you can you name one? Well, now you've looked them up, so of course you can. I can name them now that I've looked. There, them wait, up. there's the one in Illinois. I should know what that one is. Or is, da- is Davenport the one in Illinois? Uh, Davenport is in Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> I thought they were like recognizable cities, but they're not at all. Oh, can we, can we hear the other ones? Davenport, Bettendorf. Bettendorf. Uh, okay, never heard of that. Rock Island and East Moline. <laughs> Okay, so I only really knew one of them. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's honestly more than I would say most. I was going to guess like actual big cities. No. Like Johnson's, <laughs> yeah. No, not like Johnson. I mean, Iowa has like what? Iowa, there's this weird, there's, there's, I mean, the, there's a French city in Iowa. It's called Des Moines. It's Des Moines. Okay. Um, Rubus, tell, why don't you inform the people about your top secret getaway this week to, uh, the, the Mormon stronghold of Utah and what you were doing there. I heard it. Jeff and I talked about it a little bit. We talked about it with, uh, last week and and we had, we had Will on as well. Oh, okay. Guest and and we kind of heard it it out on golf, but it it was a lot of fun. It really was. Or the, what was the highlight? What was the low light? The highlight. I mean, I think I mentioned, well, I, I won actually so I, I i finished first in both of the golf quote tournaments there were eight of us 
and we played a Stableford scoring system based on our handicaps. And I think I was the, the second day I was both the low gross and the low net, even though I was not the lowest handicap overall. I, I made a nice two putt from 60 feet on 18 for par to, to win. To win, I was down. So the last holes were double. I was down two strokes uh, or two points, I should say. And so basically I needed to beat this guy by um, by one stroke to to mm-hmm. tie and by two strokes to win. And he uh, actually, we had the rule is we also had one mulligan and he had saved his mulligan. So he had it on 18. Oh. He hits his drive left in, into the trees out of basically like oh. uses mulligan and hits it there again. And I didn't have a mulligan left and I hit the green. Yeah. And so he made a double bogey and I was able to make, um, make an eight footer for par. So that, that was, that was, that was nice. I, I gave the, I gave a little fist pump and, oh, and then, then I was also, also later on, I think this was maybe Thursday night. There was the place we were staying. There was this big pot. There was a putting green, like with artificial turf. Mm-hmm. And there's a full basketball court too. There was a, it, it was pretty amazing, but there, there was you can there was you could have like a a fifty foot long putt, um, but it the hole it like if you if you hit the ball to the left of the hole it like broke left and you hit it to the right it like broke right, mm-hmm. basically nobody could make this putt and so people were offering crazy odds on it, and I thought I got a very very good I, honestly I was stealing the deal I got, um, but I was, was I was offered I was offered fifteen to one that I would make it in 20 putt and I get given 20 chances. Cause I mean, people had, nobody made it really. So oh, it was like, just, no, yeah. this isn't, well, I mean, if you think something's impossible, then it's right. But yeah. I actually made it on my fourth one. I like put it like right on the inside, right. And it just like, I had the, I had the perfect speed and hit it. Nice. And so how much, how much money did you win on that? Uh, 1500 bucks. There you go. Paid for the trip. Yeah. Well, some of it. Um, I what? can't wait to, uh, to hit the old, uh, 18th hole at Cabot next month. That should be fun. Yeah. Jeff is abandoned. We're going to be at Cabot next month. What is the state of your golf game, Tom? Oh man, I'm, I'm a little bit in the wilderness. It's, it's almost like I'm, I've been, I've just been like practicing a ton. I just, cause I joined a golf, I joined a country club. And this might surprise people, but Tom is a member of two country clubs and I'm the member, I'm a member of zero. I know it is. It's a little embarrassing, but one of those country clubs is like essentially a a shack with nine holes. And the other is what if one of the seven listeners is a member there or a leadership there, you might lose your membership. It's not a shack. It's very nice. Love blue hole country club, but it's an old Don. It's a nine hole Donald Ross design from like 1910. But it is also the source of my what had been my artificially low handicap because I'm kind of a good short short game specialist and it's like a lot of par threes. And it's also the source of why you win the Peabody Cup every year because most of our rounds are there. You know what? We can not count a single round there. I'll still kick your ass. Okay. Um, but yeah, shape is not very good. I joined Falmouth Country Club up here, which some of you may know from the Corn Ferry Tour hosted an event here last couple years not this year but one that spencer levine almost won right but didn't i, I think chad ramey won it and then last year uh what's his name run it uh pearson cootie oh okay but anyway i've just been like working on my game but it's not seemingly 
I think I'm improving, but my handicap is going the wrong direction. But I think that's okay. Because are, the hard what work. are you? What are what are the biggest? What are your goals in terms of this improvement? Like, what are you? What areas of your game are you focused on? That's my problem a little bit. Is I think I'm just focused on kind of everything. Like, I'll go out there, I'll chip for a while, I'll putt for a while, I'll I'll hit on the range. But I'm I'm really trying to get the short game to a place where I feel like really where it's really consistent. Cause I think when I have it, I have it, but when I don't, it's, it's bad. I mean, your short game is the best part of your game for sure. Yeah. But recently it's, it's, it's actually not been so. Well, you hold yourself to a very high standard. Well, maybe that's why I'm a member of two country clubs and you're not. Fair point. point. Just kidding. For all those listeners out there, I'm actually not a douche, believe it or not. Or I am, but just not. You're you're wearing a shirt that says Hotchkiss. Because which I is a fancy boarding school in Connecticut. I worked there. I didn't go there. Okay. I like to be associated with douchery, but I'm not. Where, where did you go to high school? I went to a Protestant high school, in fact, called Episcopal High School, which is how I got the name Protestant Mike. And where did I go to high school? You went to uh, T.C. Williams, home of the Titans. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't understand why we're... Oh, I'm just saying. Tom and with his fancy they... private schools and his country clubs. Rufus yeah. with his public high school. You're like Brooks Kepka and I'm Justin Thomas, I guess. I guess. Except You're grinding it out in the European challenge tour of owning a <laughs> place in New York City. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to uh matching. At least you don't have golf skills with you soon. I, yeah. I was gonna make a comment on Justin on, on reiterate your comment on Justin Thomas's face, but because you called yourself Justin Thomas. Beavis. <laughs> and or butthead i just hate that stupid scowl he does the smart thing i do feel for the guy though he's like clearly going through it yeah must must be tough yeah must be tough i don't know okay. all these guys are being okay any any other any other things we want to cover any closing comments this... um no not really um just like to thank you for the opportunity. I'd like to thank my Protestant God for uh, allowing me to be on the show. And that's about it, you know? Okay. Well, thanks everybody. And we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Jeff will be here. We'll get a recap probably of, of all the people he saw, all the famous people that he encountered while playing at Band and Dunes. Um, and how so you get the Dunes really are. That's what everyone wants to know. Well, I hope I think he hopes they're not too abandoned so he can hang out with some celebrities. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. See you next week. Body rankings, crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it. Puppet diesel, but the engine's running off a of leaded. None of it's organic, it all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year, they just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information, turn and losing betters into winners. Yeah. Sturm Hahn, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.